Hey everybody, before we get started with today's podcast, I want to bring you a message from our friends at Bet Online. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament, you know the one that I'm talking about. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. That's right, I said $100,000 and March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action, and with multiple entries available, it's this season's best chance to cash in. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. And now, on to the show. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome everybody to another episode, a for us a Sunday matinee episode of the New Slant, for you likely a Monday morning episode of the New Slant. As always, I'm your host Kyle Newbeck and we are being brought to you by our good friends at Bet Online. With me today, someone who whose mood I'm not sure of yet, someone I've spoken to after many a Sunday loss, but most of them Eagles losses. <laughs> I'm doing better than an Eagles loss. <laughs> my, my buddy, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Hanging tough after my my favorite sports team, the Flyers, secured a big national Your team. Your Flyers? My Flyers had a big victory today. Uh, but it seems with the Sixers, much like Mayor Pete, their high hopes are gone. Wow, bringing in the the Democratic primary. Topical, baby. Timely news as we start recording here. In terms of when we're recording, it literally just broke within the last 10 minutes. Yeah, so that is... We will move on from that topic immediately because I'm sure no one wants to hear us (laughs) talk about our thoughts. It was just just like one quick joke and let's get the frig (laughs) out of here. Um, And I'm sure nobody wants to hear us talk about the Flyers' power play, but what you're definitely here to talk about... It was is the greatest Shake Milton performance in the history of Shake Milton performances. And, you know, Seamus, this felt to me, at least sitting here right now in the aftermath of this game, it almost feels like a process Sixers game where, you know, they, uh, they got this huge unlikely performance from Shake Milton. They're leading for a lot of the game, but you knew it was never going to hold up absent like an outlier shooting performance from the entire team but at the end of the day at the end of the game I don't think anyone's going to walk away from this one too upset because number one you got this big breakout from a young guy and number two I thought there were some legitimate steps forward and signs of progress shown from a team that often just doesn't have it in, in these road games yeah, Shake Milton Williams out there with the outlier shooting performance. But I think Shake has solidified himself that working under the assumption that Ben is coming back this regular season, he should be the fifth starter. And he's flashed. It's not just today. It's not an overreaction today, even dating back to January. And I really pinpoint the game where he started against the Lakers at home on Saturday night primetime, as I could really see that. He has a well-rounded offensive game and he contribute more than just, you know, a dribble drive guy. He can pass well. I think he worked well with Joe, even though that obviously Joe didn't play today. But did they finally hit on a second rounder for the first time in a while? Well, you know, to hit on a second rounder, you have to actually not sell the picks. Sell the, the other, round. sell all the other ones. <laughs> And make an attempt to uh, to draft guys there. But yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely justified in saying that he deserves a look as a starter because, you know, when we've broached this topic in the past, Seamus, I think the question has always been, uh, do any of these guys like Furkan Korkmaz, like Matisse Thybul, 
do they solve a problem without adding another one on top of that? And for the most part, the answer is no. Like Matisse has his issues in terms of being able to create for himself and others. His shot is erratic between home and road. Furkan, as we saw in the Clippers game on Sunday, is just a target on defense and teams that are going to force switches can really make you pay for that. Now, Shake is certainly not a great defender, and he had his issues in that game. He's had his issues a bunch there recently. But I think that the combination of skills he brings on offense and the, the tools that he has, with his length at least, allow him to get away with, with some of that a little more. And I think he gives them a different dimension on offense that they've really needed, which is just another guy that – can dribble and shoot the ball and they can use him in in, in pick and rolls as a, a, sh- a floor spacer a shooter in the corner he's just a really versatile piece that I think will will really help this starting group if he ends up in the mix there I'm not entirely ready to write him off defensively yet either he does have a seven foot wingspan and then when he's playing with Embiid as opposed to Al Horford and then Ben Simmons a guy we've harped on all year for his defensive performance I think hiding him becomes much, much easier. And I think he, again, as you said, versatility is the name of the game with him where he's multifaceted offensively. And if he's given you enough different things on that end of the court, you can survive some of his negatives defensively when both Joel and Ben are back out there. Here's the question that I was just thinking of as we're sitting here. Is Brett Brown, does Brett Brown have the best draft that the Sixers have had in the last Yeah, Anthony Capone was years? talking about that to me today with Landry <laughs> and him. I do fault them for, I like the optionality, so to speak, of trading back and getting a, fir- a future first from the Heat. And as they did, they had the Mikhail Bridges they selected and then moved back and ultimately got Zaire. Uh, obviously, Zaire hasn't been really anything in his NBA career, and that stings. They did use that extra pick to acquire Tobias, which may be a positive or negative uh, move depending on how you feel about Harris but yeah heading on two guys I think what pick was Shake 38 does that sound right Something no I like think he was like real f- back half 50 he fell 54 he like 54 I, I want to say 54 let me look right now but yeah, I think, Landry I was he was 54 Landry was 26 ish that sounds right correct yeah like back half of the back end of the first so Shake was the 54th pick as we came to. And I believe Landry was uh, 26 as well. And then I th- what was... Uh, Zaire ended up being like the 16. Bridges pick was, was the 10th. Bridges pick was like 10. And then and I, think I think Zaire Zaire's. was 15 or 16. Yeah, so Landry was 26. And then... It's a great podcasting as we, well, we I mean, do this, this on the we fly didn't, here. It took five <laughs> seconds. Sixteenth overall was Zaire. Uh, yeah. You know, just hindsight twenty twenty have been great if they were able to get you know SGA there, but in terms of instead of trading back, but yeah, it's, it's weird. As Brett Brown, since he's the only guy on the court and he's the one handling the players in these terribly ill-fitting line of constructions he's the one person in the front <laughs> office in the last three or four years who said like we need a friggin' guard out there he's drafted the only two playable guards that they've drafted since drew holiday you know there is something to like i don't want to go too far down this wormhole but there is something funny about like you know talk about last season where brett was probably in more of a a position of power from a player personnel standpoint compared to this year. And a lot of their acquisitions were guard types, like including the big trades, the trade for Jimmy Butler, that's a getting a perimeter shot creator, shake Milton, Landry Shamit, not much of it. Well, played point guard in college, but wasn't viewed in that way. Zaire was a lottery ticket, but you know, that that's what they were after. And so that maybe that says something about what Brett, seem to think that they needed and then I wonder if he's sitting here thinking you know like I'm, I'm sure he thinks Al Horford's a good player but it's like man if they had just invested that money in the sort of players that we all seem to agree that we needed in here I'm sure he's in that boardroom sometimes like I don't know man things could be a lot different than they are today here's a question Anthony Capelli and I sort of talked about today if he, he has to be one of these two things, so you can't say neither, would you rather Brett Brown be the head coach or the general manager? 
Like, and you're assuming that if they were to keep Elton Brand or fire him and likely hire someone else, this was terrible. That's your possibility too. But that you could also be said, the same could be said for the head coaching spot where they go and hire Thibodeau or something, you know? I guess I would probably say coach just because he's so much of a like it's a total unknown he has the he has a high he has a high enough floor as a coach where you're not getting super sad and i also i don't want to sit here and give him too much credit for the like i i brought that up but i don't want to give him too much credit for the like the draft and the moves that they made that summer because like the reason that they stuck with the front office structure that they did is because a lot of those guys have very heavy say and loud voices in that front office and so they're like certainly the scouting department etc those guys all matter there it's just funny that when he had a say they did get some of these guys that like look shake looks like he's going to be a real contributor and another like let's give credit to the front office since i very rarely do between milton and Corkmaz. Milton is signed for, I believe, the next three years. He's a hinky special. Yeah, so he's they have Corkmaz for another season, and they have Milton for another three, and those guys are on bargain basement contracts. That's a big deal for a team like this. I know that, like, yes, they both have their warts. Yes, that they're not going to maybe be able to play in the highest leverage minutes when it comes down to it, but to hit on contracts like that like that's the difference in a lot of cases between teams being able to sustain runs or not now whether they have the starting five and like the the overall team structure for those to matter that's a different story and those ultimately are much more consequential than hey we got a good contract for shake milton but at the same time i just I thought since, uh, to, to be fair, since I'm always ripping everybody, I feel like that's something that I should bring up here. I mean, that they finally got a guy who can, even though, as you said, he has warts, they found a guard who could actually, to some degree, create his own shot and play make, as opposed to just being a defensive only guy, or a guy who can just pass, or a guy who can only sh- catch and shoot. Well, yeah, so, like, I follow a few people on Twitter that I feel like this has been a big trend for whatever reason, but there are, like, a lot of ex-video coordinators for NBA teams that now are, like, delving into the – not necessarily him, just, like, (laughs) in general. There are, like, Steve Jones is a really good one. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce Mo's last name, but Mo Dackel, Dakel, used to work for the Clippers. Um and those guys are posting clips constantly throughout like high profile games. And Mo pointed out today the coverage that the Clippers are playing in a pick and roll with Milton and Horford and like criticizing Zubots for dropping too far. And to me, what I was seeing in the play is like, holy shit, the Sixers have a guy that if you drop too far, (laughs) he can pull up and make a three, which is, that seems like a very basic thing for a lot of NBA teams around the league. But this, I said it in my recap after this game that the Sixers haven't had a guy like that in a while, like not that I can remember. And now they have him and like, I'm not a super big Alec Burks guy, but he brings that same element, albeit with, with like no instinct to pass ever. He's, suddenly... he's a little infuriating to watch today. <laughs> I said like, what the fuck? Like three different times for him. And he had 15 off the bench though. And he had a couple of plays where he was contorted around the rim and finished even with his left hand. So they don't really have anyone else who could do that on the roster currently. So props there. But at the same time, it's one of those like, oh my God, oh my God. Oh, he made it. He just wanted, he's that guy. Right, and and so now, like, look, there are going to be games where Shake Milton looks like that, right? Like where he, yeah. you know, he's looking for his shot, and it, it's not there. Like he doesn't have it going. But you need guys who have those skills and have the confidence. And I don't even know if it's always confidence. Sometimes it's just the the self selective memory loss that you can watch a shot not go down and then come at the next possession and and say you know what, this time is is my possession. And so I like that about Shake. He, he's a very 
very calm kid. He seems pretty collected. Um, I, I think they have a good one in, in Shake, and I think he showed that on on Sunday. But over the last, uh, let's say, week, week and a half in general, like he's been he's been really good. Have you had a chance to really talk to him in the locker room this year? What's his personality like? Uh, he's pretty. Which quiet, is it not really because he's going because he's going up and down too between here and Delaware? He he's kind of similar. Like it's bad for me, but probably good for the team. I would say bad for me, like professionally wise. That like so many of these guys just give you the pretty standard professional, no nonsense quotes. It's very much in the same vein as. Tobias Harris, Al Horford, guys who who will give you the time and they'll talk with you and they're 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 not giving you BS answers. They're giving you things that they they think and believe, but they ultimately they are playing it pretty safe. I think Shake is kind of kind of in that same mold. And, and look, I I have no problem with that. I all I ask is that guys are authentic to who they are, and I don't feel like any of them, except for maybe one one star who left town last summer. Most of them are pretty authentic that I've dealt with. Mm. Uh, while we're on the shake Milton topic, I want to bring something up to you and see what your, uh, your thoughts are on this. Hit me. So I think watching shake with this team and knowing and watching what he looked like in the G league is part of why I am not super bullish on Zaire Smith ever working out because if oh, you yeah. look, if you look at now, granted, different types of players who are making different steps from college to the pros. Shake was a guy who had the ball in his hands a lot at SMU, and he so you can run the team through him in the G League in a way that you don't really want to do that with Zaire. But I think what stood out about Shake, and it's not specific to him, but it always stands out about guys who who dominate that league, is like he made it look easy down there. And he made it look like a guy you would expect to be a contributor to look. Whereas like Zaire is still kind of fighting himself there. He's blending into the team in a way that, you know, if he was doing that at the pro level, it's a good thing. You don't want him to be hijacking the offense or doing anything crazy but for the Delaware Bluecoats you would prefer to see someone like Zaire just absolutely taking games over and I, that's just not something that has happened he doesn't really have that in his uh his bag so to speak his wheelhouse and, and so watching Q-Zone. Shake's trajectory and having I guess an understanding of of other guys in similar roles we'll call them like quad a they're like the basketball equivalent of quad a players that are going back and forth between g league and the nba i just i don't think the signs are pointing in the right direction for zaire not not that all players have the same path but i wonder if you have any of the same reservations yeah you have to be a little bit more polite for me but i think he's like a zero at this point i'm not expecting anything <laughs> oh, from wow. him well i mean the team is completely devoid of shooters, and I understand I'm not shitting on him the way I've shit on you know some previous Sixers first-rounders in terms of what they can bring to the table. Uh, he suffered some severe injuries in his career, not necessarily even basketball-related, and that takes a toll, and that takes a toll on your body and your mental state, I think, too, with he legitimately had a near-death experience, and yeah. you have to cut him as much slack as possible for that in terms of him even attempting to come back from that and even getting back to the G League. But at the same time, that happened to him. And that affects his, that can still affect his trajectory. That affects what he's doing now. He's not, maybe he's not the same player he was a year and a half ago, two years ago. And for a team so, so, so devoid of competent guard play this entire season, the fact that he couldn't crack, how many minutes has he played this year? Uh, I could not uh, even has, tell you off the top played, of my head. It will not played, be a big number, though. He's played 32 minutes this year. That's crazy. This team hasn't had any good guards the entire season consistently. That's why they had to trade some second rounders to pick up Burks at the deadline. That's why, against all odds, they had to throw Shake out there and ter- realize that he's Steph Curry. But the <laughs> fact that he couldn't get any run whatsoever, I'm not asking him for the come up and even be good. 
But I'd rather take the lumps with Zaire than take the lumps with Neto, where he has no positive upward trajectory. At least there's upside with having Zaire out there. And, you know, he's listed as a guard, and we've joked about this before with, you know, Jake Pavorsley and Wesley Share. He might not even really be a guard. He doesn't really have a shot. He's. We well, joked he definitely that he's, wasn't in college. I mean, we joked that he's, turn him into one. he's a 6'3 yeah. power forward. And yeah, and so that's I, the role he was able to play before, and that, that just, that's just okay. That's not going to happen in the NBA, especially when he's was too small for that to begin with, and then had a life threatening medical situation, which I'm sure sapped a ton of weight off from. That it takes time to build that up, and it, it just all of these factors come together that spell doom in my mind for his development, unfortunately. And there's yeah. never been more time or a more ripe opportunity for him to get minutes at the NBA level alongside some really good players that could potentially hide his deficiencies. And it just hasn't happened. And if it hasn't happened at this point, uh, I'm not super bullish that's going to happen again or happen sometime in the next future. It's, this is his second year of his rookie deal. So then he has two years left. And I'm not sure when the switch gets flipped with him or if it does at all. I'm not really confident in that. Again, to reiterate and close, if he was anything, he'd already be up here. Yeah, I, I think missing that what would have been his rookie year, or at least most of his rookie year, I should say, was really just it's a hard thing to come back from definitely the way the team has transitioned since then like if you think about the circumstances when they made that trade number one i don't know like this is not me reporting this is just like kind of speculating i don't know that they drafted him and made that trade uh with the idea that he was going to be here long term anyway like I, i do think that some of that was trade ammo like getting the extra pick uh, a guy who was viewed as someone with a a ton of upside at the time and remember that was still the Covington Dario Saric edition four teams ago yeah like it was not a team that quite had the oh man they need to like be in the finals now type expectations people certainly expected them to be better and, and I think some of the pressure in that way, probably influenced their decision to make the move for Jimmy Butler when they did. But as soon as the Butler move is made, that I mean, that puts everybody on notice. We saw it with Markel Fultz, who, despite all his issues, showed has shown a lot more Sixers switch shots at the NBA level in a Sixers uniform than Zaire Smith did. Like he was a victim of that that pressure to win now, and and so I just I don't know when the opportunity is ever going to be there for him now now maybe he comes back next next season like let's say it's training camp and he just shoots the lights out and and he can defend point of attack and some two guard guys there's a role for him if, if that's the case but i don't know i i just i don't trust the shot enough to believe that he'll get there and i still think that like while ideally he's going to turn into a point of attack type defender, there's still a lot of uh, polish to be found there. So I don't. I, I'm wishing him the best. I'm hoping for the best for him. Certainly through a, uh, a a tough tough first year in the league. But yeah, so not to turn the shake story into yeah, a negative. I don't. That wanna... was just something that was on my mind these last uh, this last like week or so. I'm not a shake hater, or excuse me, a Zaire hater, the way I've certainly been of, uh, you know, the Okafor clan or Mark Fultz. So I wanted to <laughs> make that clear that I like Zaire. And, and by the I'm way, very I sympathetic say, of his medical issues and the way that's taken a toll on his career. Yeah. But just hard for me to envision too, him with this team. You asked about shake and like who he what he's like as a person and Zaire is like couldn't be a nicer kid he yeah. also couldn't be a quieter kid he doesn't say like two words when we talk to him but uh, everybody raves about him so certainly a uh, person you want to you want to see succeed on a human level um well while we're talking about uh negative angles as we are so good at doing mm. i think the biggest thing that stood out for me in a a bad way 
against the Clippers was Al Horford just getting Ugh. absolutely abused by Montrezl Harrell in that game. Fouled out of the game with how much time was there left? Maybe like five six, minutes or so? I'd say five six or six. Yeah, or so? five or six. I would have guessed 522 or something like that it was. Yeah, there was a considerable amount of time left when, when Al Horford fouled out of that game. And, you know, it's kind of bad that he went out and there wasn't really a noticeable difference in their ability to defend the Clippers, which is to say they had none. And, you know, I, I thought Horford offered – some flashes of like who he is on offense there was some good passing on the move he created some easy buckets for guys but I just can't really focus on anything else other than the fact that he just doesn't look like he has the legs on defense and that like the reason really that they brought him in was number one to let Joel get some time on the bench and rest and so on and so forth but also because they want to deal with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he doesn't look see like him. he can stay. In, if he can't stay in front of Montrez Harrell, he's got no chance against somebody like Giannis. Yeah, they they got him for one hypothetical playoff series that seems increasingly less likely that it's even going to come to fruition that they're going to play them. So they spent one hundred nine million dollars on that, and that's not Al's fault. He sucks, and I don't like him. But he certainly <laughs> should have taken that money. You know, that's what the thing is, you know, I've certainly joked about it before because I'll do anything for a laugh that, oh, Al's robbing the Sixers $109 million. He's a sleeper agent, blah, blah, blah. That's on the Sixers for giving him that money. That's on Elton Brand. That's yeah. on Joshua Harris for signing off on it. Why the hell wouldn't he have taken that bag? It just so happens that he comes here. But he agreed to come to a situation at the same time that seemed in a way that he had to have enough knowledge that it wasn't going to work out super well. So has to take his long time. Yeah, so, I mean, what can be said that hasn't been said before? He got crushed by, I guess you could call Trez a small ball center to some degree. Uh, a guy who's just athleticism and agility and speed in the post is uh, someone that Al can not in any situation keep up with. And it really, really hurt that Joel wasn't out there to body Trez the way he's done in the past. So any hypothetical final situation you had with the Sixers playing the, the Clippers uh, and somehow Joel beats on the court now, whoever it is, uh, the Sixers will be in trouble. Yeah, and I think – so we didn't – we timed our last podcast so that we somehow avoided the Joel Embiid injury discussion. Not that there's a lot to add about yeah, that. Like I, I, from what I understand, it doesn't seem like they're bracing for anything – totally serious they they probably dodged a, a bullet on that one despite all the other bullets they've been hit by this year but i i think what this road trip is going to show you and basically what every minute without joel and with al shows you struggle is there's a there is a big difference between being joel and bead where he can stay with guys on switches, contest something at the rim, and then also come down with the defensive rebound. And Horford, who I think is a versatile and like very good defender, or at least was at his best, but that final part, that completion of the play where he brings in the rebound, that's often not there. And that's something that he's never been particularly good at. And that's why he's needed specific types of players next to him to really thrive, like name like Paul Millsat comes to mind and like these tough-minded like physical defensive type like athletic defenders and so like I, I don't know man I just I wonder if there's a gear that Horford is saving that like I've talked to Boston people that they've said in the past that they had these same concerns like oh he doesn't have it anymore and he's not gonna be able to get to the level he used to be at and before runs in the past and then he'd show up for the playoffs and all of a sudden you know he finds that gear where there were there were still a couple plays on Sunday against the Clippers where you know he climbed the ladder he came up with a big block or a a nice play but I just I think you see the difference between a defender like Horford who's very good but doesn't quite have elite physical tools and Embiid who is like every bit as as smart and, and tough as Horford, but on top of that, just has like 
crazy wingspan, crazy strength that allows him to fight with guys for rebounds. Like, I think you're really going to learn how to appreciate Mr. Embiid if you didn't already after uh, he returns from this stretch where they're playing without him. You may know more about the CBA than me. So do you think it's possible that if Al Horford got arrested for insider trading that they could void his contract? Uh, that is a part of the CBA. I am. Should I, should we get Larry Kuhn on the next podcast and ask him? You know, I actually, <laughs> I went to look something up on his, that is like the, the greatest, uh, public resource on the oh my god he's amazing cba that exists it's unbelievable um and it there was a 404 on error on the website for a bit and i had a slight panic attack because that's the easiest way for me to if i if i'm feeling uncertain about something with the cba i will always double check that first and when i went to do so there's a brief site crash and it made me a little bit concerned that maybe he uh for whatever reason took it down but thankfully that's not the case so you can uh Seamus I am not condoning this but if for whatever reason control F in... insider trading on the CBA <laughs> FAQ uh so I don't what is your expectation level for him for not just the rest of this season but I guess the the duration of his contract because it's not like this is a like a one or two year deal or hey he's out the door soon this is they they're pretty committed to him absent a trade that comes this season or this off season that no one has really speculated about yet so if i'm just isn't isn't me just doing my dumb sarcastic you know over the top bit my actual prediction for this off season is that uh the ownership panics they fire both brett and elton uh they bring in a new general manager with the caveat that he needs to unload the Horford deal and they end up giving up you know like two picks and a pick swap to get off his deal and and with the hope that kind of re-energizes Joe makes him more engaged and puts him in the best position to succeed and they kind of have to take their lumps with even more asset depletion in terms of draft capital than they were already had uh, that's my legitimate prediction I do think to I think it goes and, back to the Hawks if... for a couple of picks with a couple picks is, is my prediction. <laughs> I, I think with Horford, or it's not even with Horford, I think with this team generally, they're such a fascinating case because if they flame out in round one, which is very possible depending on how the seeding shakes out and what version of the team they offer in road games, there's a possibility that the owners look at the situation and see like, Hey, we don't want to play. We don't want to pay into the luxury tax to keep this team together. that can't get out of the first round. Like that's not, I, I know that obviously fans just want the billionaires to pay through the teeth no matter what. And they like, should pay I, for their I, own I, fucking sports stadiums. <laughs> and I a hundred percent am down with that sentiment at the same time. I would understand if I was an owner of a team and looked at a situation where this team is just not anywhere near good enough and think to myself, are we really going to roll with Al Horford at a hundred million dollars over four years? Like that's the, the hill we're going to die on. Am I, are they really willing to extend Josh Richardson? If it comes down to it, we will have to talk about his now new injury situation in a minute, but, you know, those are tough questions. And so I, I, I think this is a very, like, as with everything with this team, it's a, a big mystery how this is all going to shake out uh, on multiple fronts. I'm I'm less convinced than you are that they're going to make managerial changes. I think Brett is the obvious first move because it's, it'll be the one that the public will galvanize around, I think, is the easiest sell. It's the one that sends the most direct message to uh, Joel and Ben, who have been with Brett for a while now. And and again, this is all assuming that they they underwhelm the preseason expectations, lose in round one or two, which as of right now, I, I think it'd be hard to predict them getting to the conference finals or further, but obviously it's still possible. Um, I think- 
No, what, go ahead. I think ownership will do anything to appease fans at a moment's notice. So that's why I could also see uh, Elton getting the axe too, because I think uh, public perception and favorability or popularity has definitely been on the downturn for some time now. So I could, I kind of envision everyone going and them trying to sell the fan base on, you know, this is, you know, the reload era, whatever they want to market this BS as. And they get off Horford's deal, even though it's going to surrender a ton of draft capital. And they're going to say, hey, we have Ben and Joe, we have Tobias who compliments them, we have Josh who compliments them. You know, we're going to ideally get a pick from OKC and it's upcoming draft and draft another guard and we're going to go at this thing. Oh, I guess yeah. they'd have to trade that first rounder. So, what the hell am I talking about? Yeah, I don't. It's a uh, it's a complex situation. The bottom line is that Horford has not been anywhere near good enough in either of the roles that I think he's been asked to play. And you know, so, like I don't think a lot of the numbers aren't particularly bad night to night. Like they were better with him on the floor against the Clippers, and that can be true. But it can also be true that. Like the eye test is not great. And if you're looking for signs of possible playoff catastrophe, I think they're there. Like I think all year he has struggled with these mobile rim running types, pick and roll guys. And and Harrell is a smaller version of of a lot of them. And so you're going to go up against, you know, Bam Adebayo is not a huge guy, but that's, that's someone that will throw it down on Horford at like any opportunity. They're going to go against guys like that in the playoffs. And I just, I don't think he's well suited for that anymore. Maybe they can find a way around that, but I I don't know. I, I have not seen it. I've been watching. We've both been watching this team day in, day out. And there's just, there's not a lot to suggest he's going to be able to string high level play consistently enough to be the guy they need him to be yeah it's not happening <laughs> <laughs> like it, it feels defeatist but that's, that's yeah how I, feel. I, just, a, I don't know where it's coming from it's an argument we've said ad nauseum so it's hard to keep repeating what i feel like i've been saying for the last couple of months but you know today just hammers at home but we saw in the court he, he was not good enough and against a guy you know where would you rank trez among the nba centers top oh i 15. have no idea yeah, so, I, I mean to... he's not even like this you know he's had a very good season he's a very good player but he's not some a star or even a fringe star in my mind so i mean if you can't keep up with him what's the assumption that he could do that against obviously the clippers are a contender but throughout the eastern conference playoffs it's a little foolish to me yeah they're just yeah like a lot of teams have good centers not very few have great centers but there are enough that you know like you look at uh let's just go down the list like the raptors have gasol as a starter who screws with Embiid, but then they have some like they've been playing a lot of abaca with gasol hurt and he's a guy who can drag horford out to the perimeter and he's got more uh, athletic juice left in his legs than and Horford does. The Heat have Adebayo. The Pacers have their pair of uh, Turner and Sabonis. Bucks. Even further down the list, like Magic and Nets, they have guys like Jared Allen and, and DeAndre Jordan, who I'm not even a big fan of, but he certainly He's is. He's played in B-ball this year. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bucks don't really have the the lob the lob threat of the guys they play, but they are uh, their interior defense is really, really good, so it's tough for Horford to – to leverage himself on offense and then you're you're having to make all the value back defending Giannis on the other end and that's obviously as we've seen throughout the year that's not exactly a a winning proposition I guess the only team you really feel good about the center matchup might be the Celtics and even that is like Tice has had an under they have year. some yeah, Tice has been good. I'd like Canner is a guy that whatever he stinks, but and I think the Sixers now that Shake has emerged and they have Alec Burks and, and Richardson to a lesser extent, they can do some things to put Canner in and pick and rolls and and torture them in that way. But it's weird that the Celtics have emerged as like the one matchup that, at least from a big man perspective, you probably feel really good about for the Sixers. 
Yeah, and it looks maybe increasingly likely that they're going to play Boston round one. It's possible. Like I, they're very they're a half very game out of from, above the six seed. Yeah, they're two they're very tight out. between four through six right now, and you know the, the more time passes and the more Jason Tatum is on a roll as he is right now, it gets harder and harder to envision a banged up Sixers team getting anywhere close to catching up to to three. But yeah, here's this great Jason Tatum stat. Jason Tatum stat I just saw on Instagram. Jason Tatum is the first player 21 or younger to have three straight games with over 30 points on over 60% shooting since Shaquille O'Neal in January 1994. So that's great. It's pretty good. It's a shame that uh Mark things Fultz. unfolded the way they did. Yeah. You can't really can't trust nobody. Yeah, and that's, watch that's what how I always say. Watch how he switched sides. As a, as a wise philosopher once said, watch how they switch sides. Uh, okay, so the Sixers do have a few more games coming up where they're going to be not just without Ben and Joel, but now it looks like they might be without Josh Richardson, who left Sunday's game. Broke his face. Collision with Alec Burks, or the back of Alec Burks's head, I guess is the more appropriate way to phrase that uh he's in the nba's concussion protocol according to the reporters on the ground in los angeles and i gotta tell you it just feels like the most sixers thing possible that they had a a big first quarter against la and then someone immediately got hurt but uh they like i was not expecting a super successful road trip without or with josh richardson now that he's going to miss the next uh, – I would assume he's not going to play in the Lakers game. We'll have to wait and see on the other ones. But I think they're going to be in some serious trouble if uh, he doesn't get back. So I don't think we can even really judge these next few games on wins and losses because they're just down too many important players to to make much of this road trip. What do you think they finish this road trip on? Uh, in terms of the record, I think optimistically it's two and two. Optimistically, you'd say two and two because you know the Kings game. I'd say that's more of a toss up because the Kings are they're frisky at least they have some guys and they've they've picked up some tough wins recently. The Warriors game, it looks like Steph is not going to be back now, which that's a big boost for them, or at least. There's been no commitment to a timeline for Steph after it was initially assumed he'd be back by now. Um, Chef Steph or so Shake, the Warriors the game, present versus future. The Warriors the game, they should win. That team stinks. They just have nobody. Like uh, Wiggins, Draymond, and the, the rest of the gang are not going to get it done. <laughs> Wiggins, right. I forgot. Oh, huh. um, and the Lakers are like. It depends on what Lakers team they get because I think Anthony Davis is sitting out tonight with an injury. Danny Green's a little banged up. LeBron just missed a game. If they happen to get a Lakers team that's down two or more starters, maybe that's a, a game you can you can sneak a win in there. I certainly wouldn't go in expecting that. And, you know, Anthony Davis is always kind of banged up and then ends up playing anyway. So um, I, I guess for me the focus on this – road trip now is mostly about trying to continue to develop shake to see if you can get Al Horford going somehow some way and I know I don't think we've brought him up yet on the podcast but you really have to lean on Tobias Harris more maybe not play him 41 minutes as he played fine today he played had 25 points little rough at times yeah he's like I thought he especially against a team that has really good wing defenders and Kawhi and PG. That's a tough matchup. I mean, it's the best wing pairing in the league. Yeah. But, you know, I, I said this in my recap after the game. I, I still think you saw in that game, despite him having a good performance, the reasons why you don't necessarily want Tobias to be like perimeter option 1A. There are a lot of possessions where you would think he, like, it looks like he might have a step on somebody or a, a lane to drive into, and he ends up having to pass out of it because he can't create enough separation. And and that, I think, is what's holding him back from being, like, 
not to get into the money stuff again, but being worth that $180 million contract. Like I, I think he's had a good season. I think the money they're paying him, they expected and wanted him and needed him to be great. And he certainly is not there. He has his, has his ups and downs like a lot of other pretty good players around the league. Yeah, it's kind of an unfortunate situation for him where in this, in terms of where the Sixers are at now with injuries, he is miscast as, as you said, uh, offensive option 1A. And, you know, he played relatively well tonight. He had 25 points, but it didn't have the umph you would want from someone who is right. your top lead option. It didn't feel like he had this overwhelming great performance, even though the stats seem fine. Uh, in terms of the traditional box score stats, yeah, I, I, I don't. I some of it is just like intangible stuff. Like if you look at, if you just looked at a box score, you'd see he shot eleven for twenty-one, and Kawhi Leonard shot ten for twenty. And so you look at that and say, oh wow, they were like pretty similar in terms of their, their output, or or at least their shooting output. But uh, to me, the, the the way that someone like Kawhi shines through is like every time it looks like the Sixers were about to break the game open, the Clippers come out of a timeout and Kawhi finds a way to get to the free throw line or he makes a shot from the mid post and he's always the guy that manages to to silence that run. And I don't know that Harris had it, – it's not even like a – a timeliness thing it's just that he doesn't have this quite the skill to create the separation to get those shots you know what i mean like the, yeah I, I just don't think that he he's like a little lacking as a ball handler and a little lacking in terms of speed and that that little bit of a difference shows up in those moments where you need somebody to to take and make a shot to to kill these runs and that's why, like, really, if they're going to win anything, to me, it has to be Joel because he's the only guy that if you toss him the ball, he can will himself to the free throw line. And he's the one who constantly is able to to leverage those matchups in a way that, that benefits himself and the team. So, you know, like, I, I like Tobias. I think he's a hard worker. I think he – there are a lot of nights where he gets the short shaft or like, you know, he's out of the flow of the offense for a while and he gets relegated to standing in the corner taking threes. And, and that's not the most, it's not the ideal environment for him, but I, I see these, these small weaknesses in his game that they don't matter as much right now. And he can still put up a lot of points, but I think that, uh, they matter a lot more once you get to April, May, and June. Yeah, Tobias's offensive game is well rounded to a degree, but he doesn't do anything exceptionally well that makes you comfortable with him being your lead offensive option and your lead perimeter scorer. He's yeah, not exactly. great at he's not great at creating his own shot like off the dribble. He's a good not great guy off the shooting off the catch. Uh he's fine going to the rim and driving but he's not great at it and he does all these little things pretty well but doesn't do anything enough super well to make you comfortable with where he's at on the team and what his position is right now yeah yeah well so i i would like to see them try to play through him offensively more like i don't want it to be the the tobias harris show but i think given the need to get Horford going and like pick and rolls, I think a good way to to do that is to let Tobias run some more of those sets. Now that you have someone like Shake uh, ready to go in the rotation, you can put lineups out there where you have a few shooters around that two-man combo and you can lean into that and see if they can develop any chemistry and, and just give them like a, a look that both guys are comfortable in, have shown that they're successful in with other guys in the past. I, I It's something I'd like to see them do here because, you know, if they're not going to win these games, the very least that they can do is try to round the team into something resembling a, a playoff form or at least the individual pieces into playoff form. 
Do you want to get to loser of the week? I always want to get to loser of the week. Oh, it's just yeah. a matter of when. Uh, I, I believe we're going to have a pretty unanimous winner for loser of the, the Mac Collins loser of the week award this week. But uh, Seamus, let me see who, who you got. Who's your nominee? Former Denver Nuggets star, Kiki Vanderway. We are in agreement. So for those who don't know, what is Kiki's official title with the NBA? Uh, that is a good question. What? How do you not uh, know that? It's some kind of like made up. Yeah, it's uh, he handles fines. He's the executive vice the, president of basketball operations. He's essential. Yeah, he's the executive vice president basketball operations. He's like the guy at your college or at your high school. It's vice president of, you know, student affairs. That's the disciplinarian or whatever you want to say. Right. He, anyway, I'm sure he has a lot of other responsibilities, but he's ultimately the guy who has uh, a lot of say when it comes to player fines and such. How many points do you think he averaged for his career? Uh, I have his Wikipedia page up right now. Oh, so do I. So then that doesn't count. Nineteen point seven, it says. Yeah, but he was also uh, those Nuggets teams he were on. He was on, I should say. Oh, uh, yeah. Some of the like fastest paced teams ever. The first team to really push pace in the eighties. They would win like uh, they would lose like one hundred and seventy five to like one sixty nine. I'm not even kidding. Anyway, he fined Joel Embiid fifty thousand dollars for flipping off uh kevin herter that's who it was of the hawks yes uh when he stole the ball from joel uh at the end of the game last week against the hawks at home when joel had 49 points uh his career high and he was going for potentially i don't know if he was going to score try to score or not seems likely given joe's personality to try to get to that 50 point plateau so he's the fun police he can get lost scram bozo (laughs) You know, if I'm thinking about it right now, this is basically like giving Kevin Herter loser of the week twice in a row. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not necessarily against. No, I'm not at all, so that's pulled. fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're in agreement on that one. I think that'll probably just about do it for today's episode. Thank you, everybody, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Leave us some five-star reviews. Uh, eventually, you know, we have, I don't think we've done any kind of mailbag segment yet, but uh, if you guys have questions, I'm sure that we could use them and talk about them at some point. Not that Seamus and I ever, uh, lack reasons to talk to one another, I suppose. But, uh, until then, we'll catch you all next time. Take care.